0: Well, oh, boys, looks like we started the fun without me. Right? You're all sick. Every last one of you.
1: <laughs> We're going to need a bigger gun.
0: What's the matter? You're scared of things that go boom, boom, boom. Give me one goddamn reason why I shouldn't blow your goddamn brains all over that goddamn wall. My name is Eric and here uh, this time to span time. We're literally spanning time this time. Yeah, this is something. That uh, joke, no, no more funny, but more time span. So it's funnier for us. Mm-hmm. Just don't touch, just span in time. My name is Eric 13, I think is what I was saying. <laughs> and uh, yeah. now the 10 whole seconds has spanned. I'm here with Michael Kester. <clears throat> Good, (laughs) excellent. That's what I'm glad. That sounds me. Michael Kester is here, and uh, we're doing we're doing a fucking show today. We got a little show stuff. We got. I just I just want to talk to you. You know what's interesting about
1: this show is um, nobody else knows this but you and I. Please do it. We've done this show before. We
0: practiced it. Uh,
1: No, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait. Before you vanish to doublefeature.fm and search for these movies, it's important to note that we have not released this show before, but we have recorded this show before. (laughs) And the fact that we have recorded this show before uh, and are once again recording it now I want to let that be the reason for why this show is is I mean it's honestly for a show that we've had to re-record it's not that late let's be honest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're going you're going to blame before we blame the show being late on just things are hard in life and now we'll blame it on on uh having to record the show again which to the end user does not make a difference. They don't give a fuck. Right. They don't I don't even know if people know the show is late at this point. Totally. I talked about this a little bit when we did our, uh, what's what's that thing called? Additional content. Mm -hmm. Um, What is additional content?
1: It's that other show we do for people who give to our patreon.com forward slash double feature.
0: Forward slash double feature. Don't know what a forward slash is, but I love it. (laughs) I'll find it on my keyboard, I'll hit it, I'll type in double feature. Yeah, it's another podcast we do. It's this whole other series of shows. And uh, on it, we were we are dropping some hints about a thing that's going to come out. And you know what? I don't need to recap the additional content mm-hmm. for people. They've already heard it or they just found out it exists and will now go listen to it, which is great. But the new additional content is out there. It's on, uh, you know, life and love and futility and cats and just with the types of things additional content are about. Sure, right. So the solid theme, triple feature. And you can get that if you go to patreon.com forward slash double feature, you can get not only that show, but there's you know, 40 other episodes. There's a two-part Killapalooza At least, on there. Yeah, it's stupid. Uh, yeah, It's wonderful is what it is. <laughs> I fucking love additional content. I'm pumped about this show because it's in front of me, but I was pumped about additional content when we recorded that. Yeah, it, uh,
1: I was pumped about this show the first time too, which is...
0: Well, listen, we're going to answer you know a question here. <laughs> we're going to find out if the... So yeah, this got lost in the ether, this show, which fucking sucks. But uh, you are really down on the re-record. I don't give a fuck. I feel like I had a practice round. Yeah, see, I hate that. See, I usually do the entire show with myself, alone in my apartment, yeah. before you and I record. So this is like, now I've tested it on another human. <laughs> Let me explain to you. So the movies we're covering today are Buffalo 66
1: and another film called Chinatown. Before we get into the show, the kind of idea that I want to get into with these two films, that
0: is the show. Is, you can't, we're already. First of all, we're already like 5 minutes into the show. There's no before we get right. into the show.
1: No, but I mean, I That's mean before we happened. get sorry, before we get into Buffalo 66, which will be the first half of the show and then the second half at around some timestamp we will switch to Chinatown and spoil both
0: of them. Healthy dose of spoilers. Yeah.
1: But I want to think about with these two films, I want to think about the idea of does a filmmaker, by varying degrees, does a filmmaker being a bad person or a bad uh, co-worker in one of these senses, does that negate the value of the art itself? Right, right. Uh, and maybe not fully negate, but you know, like do you dock at a point? You know, does Chinatown (laughs) go from being the best movie of all time to, like,
0: number two behind Shawshank Redemption? Well, here's how you know we're doing an interesting thing on the show. When you see a uh, a movie like Chinatown makes its way on here, this is one of those, you know, giant cinema pieces that, I mean, I don't want to say we don't cover these. We cover a couple a year, but... Uh, we come one later. I know. I mean, I don't know if I've told you, but I know what we're doing for the finale this year. Oh, really? No, I don't. I don't mm-hmm. even know what's happening. I do know what's happening next week, <laughs> but even a moment beyond that, I don't. I have no idea. Um, we're gonna have an interesting conversation with uh, with Chinatown. I singled that one out because so many people have had conversations about the meat of it and. The great thing about double features, we can bounce it off something like Buffalo 66 and really talk about kind of an odd angle, mm-hmm. use it as a, a piece of a larger case that we're looking at. So, to begin with Buffalo 66, I want to think about this case a little bit and really get into you know, you've had an infatuation this year, you've had a thing that's eating away at your head, which is the person behind the arts and how does their personality intersect with it should it influence you yeah i think
1: to to even dial it broader and to really hit the nail on the head for what my quandary is is how much does the artist actually matter in in
0: art sure that's so you're that's beyond our question you're, because you're thinking okay well, let's think about the director as the artist that's already a stat. We're, that we that argument sure. is is a precursor, really, to this. Mm-hmm. So you're going, the guy who made these movies, wherein you mean the director, and then thinking, sure. would you say, can you ignore the director? or Help me articulate this, this question you're pondering. No, I mean, so the idea is about um,
1: the effect of the art piece. So to use another more obvious idea to the greater scheme of my question is Tommy Wiseau. And the room. Mm. I don't think anyone can argue that the room is not an important piece of art. But I do think there is an argument that Tommy Wiseau is not an artist for having created the room. Oh, sure. And if you, if you are to look at the room through the lens that Tommy Wiseau intended, it fails. And so you have right, to accept right, the right. art independently from the creator and so Tommy Wiseau is an easy example, but when you're looking at Buffalo 66 and Vincent Gallo, like allegedly maybe, you know, at least psychologically abused a lot of the people on set,
0: yeah, you know, yeah.
1: actors, crew members, whatever it, it, the question for me becomes, I, and you and I know the answer to the first part of this, which is, is Buffalo 66 great? And the answer is of course, yes. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. My question is, do you have to take, the artist into account when discerning the final answer on something like that. If, you know, basically to look at Buffalo 66 and identify, I know you hate the word, but identify something as problematic about it. Right. Right. To go, well, Buffalo 66 is a great movie, but should I, as a human, not as an audience, but as a human like this film less because at some point along the way, you know, others, whatever the fucking human version of uh, ethical treatment of animals is, which we don't have one. People for the ethical treatment of humans. Peth. It's called Peth. Uh, Where Peth comes in and goes, no humans were harmed during the making of this film. We know to some degree, the answer is
0: you, you don't get that. You don't get your little certification on this one. Sure, sure. The thing that, you know, I've talked to you about is that fucking dog movie, which I'm not blanking on the... A Dog's Purpose. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this movie, A Dog's Purpose, comes out and it's... I think this is still how people think about it. I think when you mention A Dog's Purpose, the first thing that comes up... Well, first thing that comes up is what the fuck is that? I've never heard of that. But second thing that might come up is, isn't that the one where they abuse the dog on set? And this is because there's a video that went out, which to be honest with you, I haven't even seen. My favorite thing to do on podcasts is talk about art I haven't fucking seen. So that's great. The video of the dog is art. That's what, that's what you just decided? Well, deserted. no, I mean the dog's, oh, okay. dog's <laughs> okay. purpose. Not. I know I have a pretty loose definition of art, but it doesn't include <laughs> like random animal abuse, <laughs> behind the scenes snippets off people's iPhones. Actually, if you really cornered me, it probably would. There's probably <laughs> nothing that doesn't fall under the, the art umbrella. But so there's a horrible video that goes out of some stuff they did to get this dog to perform however on set. And had that video never leaked, fittingly, they'd probably still have that fucking thing at the end of the the movie mm-hmm. that says no dogs were harmed. In fact, maybe they mm-hmm. still do. That's a mm-hmm. somebody send us a, a tweet at the end of A Dog's Purpose, a movie now well known, memefied for abusing a dog on set. Does it still say at the end no animals were harmed? And how do you get that? Who certifies mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. That's a humane certification that they probably retracted. I I don't know. Anyways, the point is, this was a shock to people who don't make movies, but to people who do make movies, they looked at it and went, well, yeah, that's what happens to animals on sets, all of them, because the way you, and the thing I talked to you about was the circus, right? That we don't have elephants in the circus anymore. Right because people kind of went, oh, you train animals to do tricks by fucking abusing them. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our cultural awareness, I think, of what it takes to get an animal to perform a certain way is higher. We know more about that. But also I think just our definition of it has changed. And so when we compare that to humans, the, the reason I was talking to you about that was that we also abuse humans to make movies.
1: And definitely to some degree, like even even some of the best, you know, even the films where. So let's let's again to kind of give another example, and we will get. There's a thing about Buffalo '66 that we're about to get into, but like even our film. Remember the double feature movie? Are you familiar with that? Patreon.com forward slash double feature. Right, you, Hannah, and Rob all abused me. Right. Well, make, and, yeah. and then in turn, you and I abused Robin Hannah. Oh, um, sure. Um, you know, you... you we abused eight people off Craigslist. You and I, abused, right? and yeah. didn't you use and I abused one another. I right. mean, honestly, you had said... Um, we
0: abused Malcolm McDowell's manager. <laughs> That's true. Who's on not the first, in the film? Don't get too fucking excited, okay? On the
1: first pass of, of recording, I remember you mentioned something about how most of the time making a film is miserable. Yeah. The end result is great, but the process is miserable. And so you have to take a certain level of that into account when you're looking at something like Buffalo 66, where we have the closest thing to documented evidence, you know, firsthand accounts by well known people. You know, Christina Ricci comes out and says that she was at least, like I say, at least emotionally abused by Vincent Gallo, maybe in his head to get the right performance. And that's the interesting thing is in a life imitates art sort of situation. The film is about her kind of being pushed around and emotionally abused, and there's a little bit of Stockholm syndrome. And so... I always point to the uh, Dustin Hoffman, Lawrence Olivier. Hey Hoffman, why don't you try acting for a change yeah, instead yeah. of the method? You know, oh, if I'm supposed to, if I'm supposed to look really sleepy and act really sleepy, I'm just not going to sleep for three days, and then I'm going to show up and I'm going to nail that performance because yeah. it's honest. And then you know, meanwhile, you just have somebody else make you look sleepy, and then you just fucking act. Sure. So I guess for me. The the counterpoint I would make to, well, she's giving the correct performance is that you're undercutting your belief in her, her ability to perform that way under normal conditions. You meaning Vincent Gallo, not you meaning sure, you, sure. because I feel like your movie with Christina Ricci would look a little bit more like Black Snake Moan than <laughs> Buffalo 66. Right, right. <laughs> well If life were imitating art and you were to just chain her to something inside of
0: your house. Buffalo 66 and Black Snake Moan are a really great comparison just to talk about, okay so in Black Snake Moan, infamously part of the, the exploitative promotional nature of it is that Christina Ricci is chained in her panties to a radiator on the cover. That's, the, that's like the log line of Black Snake Moan. Right? <laughs> so one might say Christina Ricci shows up on set and you go, you're going to strip down, we're going to chain you to this radiator and you just got to be sweaty and uncomfortable and we're going to do that for about 15 hours a day. That sounds a little abusive. If you just show up on your job and do that. Mm-hmm. The difference there is that it's in the script and it's kind of, when you sign on, you know. Sure. When you sign up for the film, you go, oh, so it's going to be at least as bad as I'm chained to a radiator without any clothes on. That's mm-hmm. that's you know, and I agree as an artist, but with the movie like Buffalo 66 and, you know, we've talked a little bit about Brown Bunny, which we haven't done on the show. That's another point of reference where it's this filmmaker and it sounds like he still gave everybody a hard time, mm-hmm. whether he did or not, just, uh, sure. that's another precursor to this conversation that we will just accept yeah, I mean, this isn't the jury here to judge yeah, him. But there's sure. no conversation if we go, "Oh, he didn't." Well, never mind. On to the yeah, next film, right. so let's let's say in a world much like our own, where we know he was uh, crossing lines with the crew. Uh, Chloe Savini comes out and she goes, "You guys don't understand. This is like Warhol. It's fine." Mm-hmm. So Chloe Savini, maybe in the same position in a movie like Buffalo 66. I think in a more compromising position, based on what I know. Well, yeah, but (laughs) had she signed up for this movie, maybe she wouldn't have given a fuck and it wouldn't have crossed any of her lines. Maybe, yeah. Vincent's still the same guy, maybe does the same stuff. Maybe she just doesn't fucking care.
1: I feel like that's to do with respecting your, in this case, call them co-workers, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Or even employees, if you're Vincent Gallo who writes, directs, produces, and does the music for Buffalo. He writes, directs, produces, stars, and does the music for Buffalo sixty-six. I mean, it, he got he has to get a little leeway on, you know, knocking Christina Ricci <laughs> around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even no, know I'm how kidding. somebody directs I'm kidding. and acts already. That's just uh a- Well, and to look at this movie as You know, a still image of the man himself. It's interesting because you get this really fascinating self portrait of a guy who is simultaneously insecure, egotistical, and kind of abusive. It's funny because he's almost, he's almost walking around going, I know how I am. It's just that when you point a camera at it, it that's art.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And that's, you know, that's the idea. You know, then you look at the idea of modern art, where modern art is art, where you go, I could have done that, and another person says, yeah, but you didn't.
0: Yeah. yeah it's tricky for me because I try to remove the elements that I know aren't. So I, I look at this right away and I go, don't be, don't be terrible to other people. That's just not mm-hmm. a good idea. And then I try to take an opposing viewpoint and I try to go, okay, well, how can I defend some of this? Just to challenge myself.
1: Well, and right? you know whose job that is in the movie is fucking Christina Ricci. It's her job to, to try and defend the guy
0: himself. You mean the world's thinnest character with no right. fucking backstory? <laughs> Christina Ricci, the person who is just mysteriously motivated to love him, kind of like the dog from A Dog's Purpose, actually. A little bit, a little bit unconditionally. So then I think, all right, well, if these people were all from Nymphomaniac and it was Lars von Trier, if this was Bjork and Lars von Trier, I would go, Bjork, I know you're kind of crazy and Lars von Trier, I really like your movies, So everything was fine. Sure. And it's, you know, it's still the same sort of thing where there are infamous film relationships where people didn't get along. And I think, you know, on a film sub, part of that is uh, the job of the first AD to make sure we're all not abusing each other. And that's sort of what I looked to that. That's specifically why I hired my first AD. I was like, this chick's going to chill me out and going to make sure we're not all abusing each other. You're hired. (laughs) Those were my concerns. I know those are kind of backwards concerns as a filmmaker, but from the point of view of two people having this conversation, sounds like a really good idea in retrospect. Mm -hmm. So great decision. Now that we've laid out all of these scattered little pieces, you know, we have a movie with some uh, some problems as a viewer. You don't know how you should feel about it because some bad stuff might happen on the set. And on the other side, you have this incredible portrait of an egotist. This movie that's, you know, if you think about it as a documentary of an insane filmmaker, then it's suddenly amazing. The question for me becomes what do we do as a response? We both, let's say we both agree bad stuff went down. Also, you know, look at this crazy film that shows this portrait of this guy. You should see this. Is there anything that society can do as a reaction to it? I mean, so when you tell other people about it, yeah, maybe you say that, but does this, you know, in 10 years, does this live on iTunes with a little blurb that says, in this incredible portrait of an egotist, right. uh debatably abusive film. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> like, what's the right thing to do in reaction?
1: Well, and that's a really interesting, um, it's a really interesting segue into the next movie. So I'm actually gonna pause that for a moment while I wrap up one more thing about Chinatown. Oh, please, please. Because that was a please. perfect segue. But I think that you mean one more thing about Buffalo Sixty Six. For our purposes, talking about Buffalo 66, I think it's really important to look at Buffalo 66 as kind of the one-man, one-vision thing that you and I like to champion. Mm -hmm. And it's a film, I always say this whenever anybody asks about Buffalo 66, I always use the phrase, there is no other movie like Buffalo 66. Right. To be able to say that about a film that may have been created through problematic means is very interesting to me because it's, it it begs one of two things. It either means it doesn't really... And I can say this now because I'll come clean and let you know that Christina Ricci also feels like it was worthwhile to make. We can good. say that now because we're toward the end of the Buffalo 66 portion. Oh,
0: good. Now everything's fine. <laughs> no need for segment. But uh, it's either that it's worth
1: abusing people to get something like this, or a film this unique is only achievable through abusing somebody. Mm. And both of those things are kind of fucked up. Yeah. Which is kind of why I like Buffalo 66 in, in its own light, is that it's kind of fucked up. It's just kind of fucked up, and it wanders and doesn't seem to realize how fucked up it is, which is, again, just the main character in a nutshell.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, there's there's two pieces that... For this and for Chinatown segue, mm-hmm. that are so critical. Which is, you know, firstly, we started this conversation way back around the time of. Um, I'm so bad at remembering uh, literally anything, but uh, the fucking Refn movie, <laughs> uh, Neon Demon. Thank you, Neon Demon. Right. Because there is a moment in Neon Demon where a girl is left alone with a sketchy photographer. Mm -hmm. And uh, socially, you don't want to leave a young girl alone with a sketchy dude from Craigslist. That's just not a good idea. But artistically, if she takes these frightened, emotionally fragile photographs, you might have created some good art. And that is, you know, more broadly a problem with art is in Die Hard, Alan Rickman takes a fall. They say they're going to release him on three. They release him on one and a half. Instead, they capture a great surprised look. And afterwards, I assume he picks himself up, dusts himself off and is a professional, but is thinking you fucks. (laughs) I, I could have just acted you assholes. And, you know, we have so many of these anecdotes as we go through movies and these continue to be troubling for us to think about because of part two of our brain that is this uh, this vote with your dollar part. Right. This grab them by the wallets part, you know, which I used to mm-hmm. call libertarian, but I don't even know what the fuck that word means anymore. But, you know, this sort of, and eh, not even free market. I don't know what it is. <laughs> this kind of thing that goes, if you don't support something, first thing you do is don't see it, you know? hmm and so let's look at Chinatown as an example because Roman Polanski has this infamous past sure. of uh, being in the news for not not going back to face up against the allegations of a rape yeah, from a girl who was, well, like, right. I don't know, preteen? Teen at the time? Yeah, definitely. Teenager, so,
1: I think. so as far as the allegations, and I don't want to get like super into the nitty gritty of the why Roman Polanski is probably a creepy guy, but... The girl that he is accused of raping is definitely young by almost every national standard. And the only reason he's not been convicted, as far as I can tell, it's an easy reason and it's true. He has not been convicted. So we need to keep that, but maintain that with a grain of salt, which is that he simply is just evading his trial altogether. Right.
0: So once again, in a parallel universe where this movie was actually made by a guy whose name coincidentally, is Roman Polanski, but was definitely guilty of doing creepy stuff and everyone knows that. Mm-hmm. Pretext for this uh, this conversation.
1: Now, what's interesting about Chinatown through this lens versus, you know, some like the pianist, right? Mm-hmm. When Roman Polanski made the pianist and got an Academy Award, that would have been a really good time for everybody to staunchly oppose Roman Polanski. Yeah, yeah. Chinatown may be too early in his career for all of that shit to have come to light. You know, Woody Allen is feeling the vote for your dollar hurt right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not feeling any hurt cause he's Woody Allen. He's fucking rich as shit, but you know what I mean? Cafe yeah. society is not his highest grossing film. It didn't quite get a wide release. And I think a large part of that is because he is now fully associated with being a creepy dude. And I'm off the boat on that whole accusation regarding Woody, Woody Allen. Allen. Yeah. I love Woody Allen, but I don't like to say that because he's probably creepy, but he has not done anything wrong, is my, oh, I, my knowledge. I see. Um, but it's also possible that he has. Like, I, again, don't know fucking anything. And also, this is the second time I'm rehashing this. Last time we recorded this, I was like fully on board with Woody Allen. And now I go, <laughs> yeah, but didn't Mia Farrow say something about raping kids? That's bad. I don't like that. yeah, yeah. But with with Chinatown, it's kind of in that gray area where, to, to go back to your wonderful segue from earlier, I want to assess Chinatown through the how should it be approached in 2017 lens. Everybody's talked about Chinatown. We know the amazing noir aspects of Chinatown, and we'll touch on a lot of that too. But I think our perspective that we can really offer is how are we supposed to treat Chinatown in
0: 2017 if... The person who made it is a fucking rapist. This is a little bit of Buffalo 66, but with the amount of time that's actually transpired. Exactly. The filmmaker's still alive, which makes it different than the way I was thinking about that. You know, looking back and what do we... You
1: you thought Vincent Gallo was going to die in 10 years?
0: Well, no. I mean, like, what do we put on Buffalo 66's tombstone? (laughs) Right. Where does this live once we're so far beyond anybody, you know, talking crap about the filmmaker? He's not around to be litigious and, you know, is, is in the past. Uh, Chinatown is a movie that was made so long ago and these allegations came out so long ago that I think people now, you know, I'll tell you that in practice, I don't hear a lot of people going, oh, how have you not seen Chinatown? Now, let me tell you in advance, it is made by Roman Polanski. So you have to take that into consideration, but... That's how you right. would think people would start framing this. Why do you think they, well, one, do you, do you agree you don't hear that about Chinatown? And two, if that's the case, why not?
1: Well, I think that, and this is something that we probably need to acknowledge a lot more on the show. Uh, the average person doesn't give a flying fuck about who directed anything. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, when people go. They do now more than ever and don't at all. Program, yeah, which I'm is sorry. it's it's amazing to me because people will talk to people will bring up a movie and then I will bring up another movie that that director directed and then they'll go that was great too yeah and I go yeah it's the the same director and they go oh yeah as if that you know it's it's like if you're telling them that that movie you know used the same best boy yeah there's just there's no acknowledgement to that the, Jack Nicholson film Chinatown. Sure. Well, and that's the thing, right? As if and we've seen this time and time and time and time again, almost except for that guy who won the Academy Award last year, that if you are an actor and you do some nefarious sexual business, that's it. Yeah. That's kind of definitely it. And like way harsher. Now we're talking about a guy who may well have raped a child who is then 20 years later awarded the highest award film can offer you. Um, like as far as an actual like capital award goes, like, you know, not a reward, but an award. Meanwhile, you know, Paul Rubens maybe whipped his dick out in a porn theater and like, boom, no career for that guy.
0: Yeah. Done. Yeah.
1: He's off. We're not talking to that guy. He's, he masturbates. So he's yeah.
0: bad news. Well, I was going to make a crack about this, but you know who's kind of solved this problem? We can tear away a lot of the baggage of the fact we're talking about films and there's all these people who are involved in the making and somebody is always fucking problematic and a film takes hundreds of people to make. So there's, you know, and it involves doing some dangerous stuff on set. Sometimes, If you're not doing anything dangerous... I'm not really interested in your film. Sure, I'm not going to say you can't make a good film that way. Of course you can, but you bore me. I want you to do something dangerous. I also don't want anyone to do anything they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. I mostly say that. I want to be pushed to do stuff I don't want to do on a film, but you know, can you show up and go, it's a little bit like rape fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. It's like uh, you develop a, a safe word, Maybe that's what we all just need is safe words on films. I don't know. Polanski. But what if you show up? Yeah, my safe word is... Oh, my crew would love that. That would have been <laughs> fucking great. Um, I'm so using that. I'm 100% <laughs> as my actual safe word as well. If you show up and go, I want you to push me out of my comfort zone. I mean, semantically, that sort of puts everything in your comfort zone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. It kind of goes... You know, what are you comfortable with? Well, being uncomfortable, for starters. Yeah. That's where I want to be. So I was going to make a joke about how that stuff is not okay in the film world, but totally okay if you're, say, in the NBA. Now, look at these cases in sports, probably, but fuck for some reason, American fucking basketball, where people just, you know, punch their kids, rape their wives, kill their fucking spouses. I mean the history of NBA stars who are also convicted criminals is fucking crazy. What if fans of the NBA do, you know, the first time, maybe the second time, maybe, but what do they do now when that happens and zero people are surprised?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the climate of the nation right now anyway, man.
0: <laughs> well, but they also go yeah. their Their reaction is also okay. Yeah. He's a total fuck bag, but... Plays a good game. Right. Shouldn't he be looked at? We're not going to take him out of the Hall of Fame because mm. he's problematic. Sure. We're going to go, that guy's a fuck bag, but he... But he's not here to be a good person. or the other. Right. Well, or he... Yeah, yeah I suppose that's right. Yeah. It's a little trickier with film because you're dealing with intellectual ideas. Mm-hmm. And things get interpretive. Yep. So if you know Roman Polanski believes certain strange things, yeah. it well, may so, change what he was trying to say.
1: So I think this is kind of where I live with this specific version of this uh, question. And Roman Polanski, part of the reason I picked Roman Polanski is because he's not a fucking chew-in for me. Woody Allen, I'm going to like any movie he does. I just fucking like the oh, way sure. Woody Allen makes movies. So if I'd put a Woody Allen movie on here to talk about how he maybe raped Mia Farrow's children, I would be able to compartmentalize that from the art itself. Yeah. Same with Mel Gibson. I don't think Mel Gibson's ever directed a bad film. Uh, I didn't see the one where they nailed the guy to the thing, but the other ones are all <laughs> slammed. In
0: what world does Michael Kester go, I didn't see the one where they nailed the guy to the thing? <laughs> Pretty sure that's, I guess it's just when it's the passion. Uh-huh. Right? and
1: so again I'm really easy it's like your favorite genre is nailed the guy to the thing yeah (laughs) totally and it's really easy again for me to compartmentalize the work from the shitty person who made it Mm. and I mean if you want to talk music Lou Reed another good example turns out he's kind of a fucking racist and I but his music is just good so maybe he's a racist but that doesn't make New York not my favorite yeah so, from a practical standpoint, Chinatown is a nearly perfect film. I'll give you that. But, you know, when you get, as we've talked about time and time again on Double Feature, the closer you get to a, a unanimously loved film, the further you get from my particular niche interest of nailing people to something. And Chinatown, you know, it's great for what it is, but... You think yeah, if it's this fine, were it's more... Great,
0: but, yeah, if this were more extremely in your pocket, it be, then it would be... Easier, easier for, for me your, yeah. to compartmentalize. Well, but and because that's how we kind of have to do things, though, don't we? Don't we have to go, this is the best movie and the worst. Satan made this film. It's the best film ever made. Now what do right. we do? And that's the other thing, too, is it would even be, it's
1: it's difficult for me in hindsight to look at Rosemary's Baby and go, ah, fuck, am I supposed to like this a little less? Because Yeah. But I think what the reason that I wanted to talk about Chinatown is because it is so ubiquitously adored. It's just Yeah. I mean, I've I did the research on this for this reason and on multiple aggregator sites globally, not hmm. nationally in the US, yeah. but globally, yeah. Chinatown is I think 75% the number one film of all time.
0: You mean not just in film school in LA, huh?
1: Right. That's yeah, no, I'm talking I'm talking
0: film school in South Korea. Yeah. Chinatown and and Polanski as well. I think Polanski, because when I did uh, Disposition, somebody told me uh, it reminded them of a Polanski film, and that was like the greatest fucking compliment I've ever got. It was just like slow, methodical, 70s horror, you know, psychological. Mm -hmm. I just fucking loved that. So tonally, I mean, I'm, I'm in a position more to defend Polanski's art and then also as a person who lives in LA this weird LA centric piece that is Chinatown it's just about like LA municipalities and a conspiracy to steal water so that when you incorporate the San Fernando Valley into the city proper you'll make a bunch of money with it. it's just an insane fucking thing in my head one of the most important things about Chinatown is not all of the great film noir mystery work it does, storytelling, but just the fucking fact that it might be one of the only Los Angeles films to represent a Los Angeles I actually see. One without water. It's like this tangerine and that Joe Dante flick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> Those are the three movies that are actual LA for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, burying the X. Yeah. No, Even no, though I think we talked about, about that as being sure. a fantasy that only, mm-hmm. only me, you, and Joe Dante exist in right. that LA. That's not mm-hmm. a real place.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, nobody exists in that LA anymore because, you know, Anton Yelkin got killed by his own
0: Jeep. Oh, God, what a fucking bummer. Yeah, yeah, and then actually we all just started existing in Green Room instead. That's the, <laughs> not the America we deserve, but the one we got or some fucking Batman like that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. This is a really an authentic LA, not just the, the one where like, oh, Kobe we live here? But there are so many things in this. You and I have been without cars. Are you still without a car? I technically own a car. I don't use it. It has not had gas in it for months. I officially do not own a car. It happened, finally. I sold my car. I'm trying to, it doesn't fucking matter. But you can't get around LA without it. There's this great portion of the movie I love where Jack Nicholson doesn't have a car and he has to fucking bum rides and he like can't solve mysteries because he doesn't have a car <laughs> and that fucking transit system sucks. That was Who Framed Roger Rabbit, right? It was like all of this. Oh, yeah. How Chinatown influenced not just the picture scene, but the whole like, we're going to bring in a railway to fucking transit system. You know, it's the It Actually, Who Framed Roger Rabbit nails the kind of theme that Chinatown would use. Yeah. You know, this like infrastructure motivated, mm-hmm. what the fuck kind of movie? Who makes these? <laughs> you yeah, know? that's the question of today is what kind of crazy person do you have to be well, to make municipality-based one of the thing, that's films? That's one of
1: the things that I actually really love about Chinatown is that as the quintessential noir movie, it's just a giant fucking MacGuffin. If like just to to think about Chinatown right if somebody were to ask you this and I can say this cuz this happened in real life to me somebody says so what's Chinatown about <laughs> you kind of have to go well that's not important
0: yeah i guess <laughs> yeah who's water? ever asked that
1: question yeah i guess water or something i don't know yeah. it's even if you've seen China,
0: it's tank girl it's like basically the plot of, you've seen tank girl right it's basically the plot of tank girl it's just
1: fascinating to me that a film that is so well regarded, the plot is actually. I mean, we talk about this a lot when we talk about auteurism, when we talk about photography and film, we talk about score in film, we talk about these aspects. But for the plot to actually feel secondary in a film, yeah, 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 is really impressive. Yeah. Not to say that the characters don't feel, you know, fleshed out, not to say that the writing isn't incredibly
0: strong. It's just that what's going on is so not the point. It's one of the great parts about this being noir. You see this happen in all of this film noir. It And part of it's the time that's elapsed, but they're all just about fucking insurance clauses and all of this. Just the plots are never... Mm-hmm. You're always going through it and rooting for characters and reading into the, the cut with the knife tension and all of this, and you never really... It's never because you personally are invested in the motivating plot behind the, you're not really going like, oh yeah, this is a great insurance scheme. And let's. um, we did create this plan and we really want to see it. You're just purely cinematically behind characters getting what they want or deserve. It's really the inverse of your typical heist movie Mm -hmm.
1: where when people go, oh, what's this about? Oh, it's about a bunch of people scheming and scamming to make a bunch of money. Oh, okay. Well, Well, Is it exciting? No, it's not
0: exciting. I miss the days where nobody was, you know, oh, I really didn't feel the the fucking, you know, I didn't buy this plot element. I didn't feel this thing. I don't care about this issue. I find some kind of hole in logic around this. I just, I think it's. You're just like nose bandage guy wants
1: it, and I want him yeah, to get the thing he wants. I'm thinking of, you know, Ocean's Eleven compared to Chinatown. And if the you only, didn't want the treasure that's in Ocean's Eleven, you wouldn't care about Ocean's Eleven. And that's one of the things that I actually really love about Chinatown is that as the quintessential noir movie, it's just a giant fucking MacGuffin. If, like, just to to think about Chinatown, right? Oh, sure, sure. And Chinatown is and, and you know, with financially successful results. In Chinatown, it's the exact opposite with the same results. They just go I mean, it doesn't matter how they're going to get the money, you know it's going to happen. And the reality is that's the the case with both both films. You know yeah. they're going to get the money.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is where I really land on these movies, having thought about this so much and you know, you and I I mean, we've talked about these two movies before, but we fucking talked about this problem. This just keeps coming up as we, as we find out more about films and that everybody was unhappy as they made them and they turned out great. You know, Chinatown, the ideas in Chinatown are so much more important than the people to me, the people who mm-hmm. made it. Or thinking about, you know, the, the ideas in Chinatown especially are not compromised by problematic personalities or ways that it was made because none of them are undercut. If you have a movie today and the plot of the movie is we have to get a Kiwi and the audience doesn't like Kiwi, they don't care about the movie. And in Chinatown, if the plot is to get a Kiwi and you hate Kiwi, you're still really, really engrossed by Chinatown. How does that happen? And the reason people talk about it in film school and the reason uh, it is such an analytical kind of film for its cinematic elements, for its craft, made by the guys who are sketchy, mm-hmm. you know, made by specifically Roman Polanski in this case, we're talking about who time and time again in his movies figures out a way to do tension or a way to do, you never go, oh, this Roman Polanski movie, what, what is this one about? Rosemary's Baby is about a fucking baby and a pregnant chick, two things I don't care about at all. (laughs) And like, oh, sweet, a demon baby movie. That's what I want to see. And yet, Rosemary's Baby just does so many things that, you know, you want to circle with a red marker and go, this was a good idea. This was a good idea. Mm -hmm. So when I look at movies that have these creators behind them who might be sketchy dudes, again, Nobody wants anybody to be a sketchy dude. I don't think that's even really the question. The reason we get into these kind of arguments with people is because uh, different people value different things coming out of this. You know, I look at a movie like Chinatown and I go, there are ideas in Chinatown that are done better than ideas anywhere else, specifically in noir. That's just hands down. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think very few people would argue that fact, but even just broader in cinema. And if Chinatown is in fact the best example of X, Y, or Z thing, I don't want that to disappear from public conversation. That piece inside me, that grab your wallets piece that says, don't attend or go to the art made by sketchy people. You don't want to support them or you want them to fade into history. Once they're gone. I don't want anything about Chinatown to fade into history. I still, th- I know you and I have talked about this, but the fucking bandage on the nose kills me. Right, It's yeah. just like, you know, so rarely do we get to see, it's not like this is a movie about a guy with a bandage on his nose. He just happens to get fucked up in the beginning and he never really shakes that, you know, problem. In fact, they remind you of it later. Just little things like this that are, are still very, not only kind of originated here, I don't want to make the argument about where something originated, but this is such a a critical example of a lot of things like this. And I don't want that to fade from memory. If I don't like, say, say, I think there's too many comic book movies, so I don't want to support them. I don't want to go to them. The logical conclusion of that is that I want comic book movies to go away, to lessen, Mm -hmm. fade in the background so that other things can come in the foreground, Mm -hmm. which I mean, Well, surprise no one is basically, you know, basically true. I basically believe that. But if I'm gonna say I don't support this Roman Polanski movie, because Roman Polanski is problematic and I don't want any Roman Polanski things coming to the forefront, I'm saying I think it'd be a better world if Chinatown faded away. And I just can't say that. I can't look at Chinatown and if Chinatown, if somehow my buying power had enough to be influential. The thing about buying power is we all have a tiny, tiny fraction of a piece and we sway trends depending on that. But, uh, you know, it's huge at the box office right now. And if that were solely based on whether or not Eric13 bought a ticket, like my ticket is worth $50 million and everyone else's ticket is worth $12, I'd have to really ask myself would I be more or less happy if it were higher or lower in the charts.
1: Well, and you're, you also have to keep in mind you're gambling with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But There's yeah. the gamble factor, but let's ignore that. Yeah, no, I just kind of mean, you know, if you, Things like if it, you go, okay, yeah. I can't personally support this movie because I don't see movies where XYZ happens or I don't mm-hmm. support a filmmaker that does whatever. And then as a reaction, the universe goes, well, your opinion is... Is more important than everyone else's. Therefore, Chinatown poofs out of existence. I'd feel fucking terrible. <laughs> I'd be like, well, hold on, hold on. I mean, I just didn't want to put my my money into it because Roman Polanski. But put it put it back in the museum, please. Please put mm-hmm. it back because right. people should really yeah take down the
1: statues. Just put them in a museum. Let's <laughs> take down the child I rape statues
0: from the child rape monuments. And put them in the child rape museum. You know, as soon as I said museum, we'd have a fucking problem. And the conversation <laughs> continues, because it always does. We have a website, doublefeature.fm. We have an email address, doublefeatureshow at icloud.com. And of course, you can send us tweets. I'm at eric underscore x13. Yeah, is that what your current one is? Do you have a
1: Twitter? Yeah, mine's the same. It's at p-l-i-n-g-m-i-c-h-a-e-l. That's how you spell it. Sounds like playing Michael when you say it. We have some uh, producers who helped with the show. They know about the thing from the AC, these people. These are all people who already are ahead of the game. They've already gone
0: to patreon.com forward slash, forward slash double feature. They know about the secret thing. It's true. So the executive producers of the show are Ross Mahler, Jordan Sells, David Anderson, Charles Crawford, Ben Ecker, and Aaron Shore. And we have an open spot here. Uh, in October, we are going to release a thing on the Patreon for anybody who's signed up before that. So get on there now and actually steal this executive producer spot. If you're hearing me right now, quick before the other people here, go get this executive producer spot. It's patreon.com forward slash double feature. We're going to put a thing on there and it's going to be fucking amazing, but I'm not going to tell anybody what it is. It's going to be a secret, it's a secret for the Patreon people. You challenged me on this before, and uh, I have another website. I was going to send this to you, but I noticed a problem. The fucking film is done. It's actually done. I was really going to send it to you. Oh, yeah. I made this film Disposition. We shot it a long time ago. It took a really fucking long time to get it right in post. It's a wicked cool thing. And I mention it. I used to not mention it on the show because I didn't think anybody would be able to see it, but I might as well just fucking announce this now and announce it every goddamn episode. But we're going to do a 50-state tour. We're going to play everywhere. Oh, yeah. This movie is going to be in theaters in every fucking state, which is amazing, which I'm so happy about. So cool. So the website is dispositionfilm.com. You can't learn anything about the film, but you can sign up to find out when it plays in your state and if it plays near you and uh, we're just going through and doing the scheduling for that now, and it's just crazy to start to see all of this coming together. So I made a little movie. You guys get to actually see it in a fucking theater. I'm still pretty convinced I'm going to send it to you before I make you show up somewhere in Texas. We'll probably play a couple times in Texas if we're lucky, so we'll see. Dispositionfilm.com. What other film.com are we uh, doing on this show? Oh, we're doing
1: that robot thing. Remember the robot thing? I love robots. We're doing a couple movies that are about varying types of robots, and they're directed by varying types of uh, humans. So we're going to do Park Chan-wook's I'm a Cyborg, but that's okay. And we're going to pair that with Alan Arkish's Heart beeps. Um, Going in, I think it's important to note that everybody hates them, which is absolutely ridiculous. Oh,
0: good. Oh, Wha-
1: now I'm excited. Watch more fucking film.
0: Bye.